I'm looking around. I'm starting to take drink orders and everything. And this one lady has a big hat on and big sunglasses. And, you know, as I'm going through it, and then she goes, Justin, don't you recognize me? And I look and I go, of course I recognize you, Jill Scott. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, it was so, oh she my was God. really sweet and funny and... That's hilarious. Because uh, you, my friend, Justin, are a memorable dude. You are. Mm-hmm. Well, there is the, you know, six foot five and hairy yeah. thing in my favor. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, like I said, there, I remembered you. From- there is that, but I'm not discounting the just general like likability and like the the desire you put in others to like just want to keep talking to you. Mm-hmm. Just in yeah. general, so well, that's a very nice thing to say. It's, Thank you. That's that's something that people remember as a first impression, and and you're yeah. really tall too. That welcome to that episode was. We are popsicle. Today's episode of that episode was will be a deep dive into the expanse, season six, episode four, redoubt. The Expanse is a series created by Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby and run by Noreen Shankar. It's based on the book series of the same name written by James S.A. Corey, a pen name for writing teams Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, who also work on the show. This episode was written by Dan Nowak and directed by Anya Adams. Before we jump in with uh, our collective dozen feet, uh, let me introduce our co-host and extra panelist. First, we have Lisa K. Weber, graphic designer, illustrator, and apple of my eye. Hello, Lisa. Oh, hi, Justin. Good morning. Next, we have geeky crafter, cross-stitcher, lover of astronomy and apocalypse. Music, she is music to my ears. We have Claire Thorne. You know, the apocalypse could come from a love of my love of astronomy. It, those things go, can go together. Right? They can indeed. They can indeed. Next, we have writer, teller of stories, humorist, essayist, astrologer. She is the wind beneath my wings. It's Kelly Sumilano. Hi. <laughs> Uh, our last Popsicle co-host, our producer, our creative bard, jack of all trades, writer, actor, producer, dancer. He is the shiver down my spine. It's Philip Kelly. Huh. Uh, throw a coin to your Philip. <laughs> Ayo. And finally, yeah. we have Witcher a special reference. guest. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Witcher, yes, a Witcher reference. I'm watching the first season right now, so uh finally we have our special guest susan bridges susan bridges is one half of the tilly and susan bridges writing team they've been making award-winning audio dramas at pendantaudio.com for over a decade and were most recently the head writers for the 2021 hugo award ceremony they currently write for the star trek adventures role-playing game yeah and their four <laughs> issue sci-fi comic series kill switch is available in trade paperback wherever books are sold she is our ace in the hole 
Susan Bridges. <laughs> Hello, thank you. <laughs> Yay. Yay. And now, just our uh, ever-present, all-important spoiler warning. Mm. If you have not been caught up with The Expanse, if you have not watched Season 6, Episode 4, or anything before it, <laughs> we will not care as we go on. So if you do not want these things spoiled, get the to Amazon, watch The Expanse, and then come back and listen to our lovely voices and opinions. Now, speaking for myself, there was a theme that I saw running throughout this episode, and that was failures in leadership. Mm. It felt like we had a lot of examples of people who in most cases are normally really capable leaders, uh, not holding up their end of the bargain. Um, or in one very obvious case, one person who's always a terrible leader continuing his trend <laughs> of terrible leadership. Um, we had Holden keeping secrets from the crew and then getting all butthurt when he's challenged on it. We had uh, Avasarala uh, rejecting the plan proposed by her Martian allies without continuing the discussion, just walking away. Um, we also had her seemingly unable or unwilling to manage Monica Stewart. Uh, Nico Sandrani, governor of Ceres, pretty much sells her people out in the service of Marco. Um, and even Drummer gets caught off on her heels when tragedy strikes and Joseph ends up pinned beneath a crate. And we won't even talk about what a douchebag Marco Anaros is. So well, what's we're going to talk these... about the douchebag. We always talk about the <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the douchebag. Like we, yeah, we're definitely going to do that. <laughs> so what's going on with these leaders? What does this speak to you, to you guys? What's, uh, what's, what, what's going on? What's the haps and the craps? And uh, let's start with Philip. Because I never start with Philip. Oh, that's so nice of you. Um, <laughs> it's a... It's interesting to me that in, in some of these cases, uh, well, I mean, Holden has that wonderful conversation with Naomi about taking away her agency and, and her decision. And that's kind of all she has. I, um, I, I, I understand, I completely understand Holden's instinct to do what he did. Um, I get that 100%. Uh, and that's, that, I mean, honestly, that might've been the decision I would have made in that instance as well. Uh, to be quite honest. Uh, he also has that great decision, uh, the conversation with Clarissa, where she's like, you know, never be upset that you chose not to kill someone, which I think that, especially at this point in time, was a really good thing to hear from a character, uh, especially in the midst of war. Um, so I don't know if the decision, I don't know if I agree necessarily with that being a poor choice from Holden, it's certainly well, a, com a complex choice. Uh, there's there's a difference between, but how he handled it, how he did it, how he went about he, doing it, maybe was was wrong. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But also, it was a very personal choice for him. It was, and it wasn't a choice for the crew. Do you know right. what I'm saying? He right. made a choice on behalf of the crew, but he made it for personal reasons. Sure, which, sure. You know, like the great thing is Holden's still a good guy. I would have done the exact same thing too. So I yep. don't want to, you know, yeah, but, yeah. but he kept it from them, mm -hmm. which that's not great. Leadership. No, that's not great leadership at all. And no. then yeah, his reaction to Amos was 
totally uncool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I get, I get it all. Um, so that was, that was an interesting story development to, to take place. I mean, his whole thing. Um, and again, though, I mean, uh, Avasar, talking about Avasar Alex, I don't think we talked a lot about Avasar the last episode. Um, this thing with Monica Stewart, uh, it's it's interesting to see her instincts shift around a bit because I think her trusting Monica Stewart in this moment isn't a bad instinct necessarily. Um, I think sometimes you have to look bad to make maybe a larger, greater impact in the world. You have to show weakness. I I, I love what Monica Stewart can say in that moment uh, or or to Avasarala because I think she was spot on. Um, you have to look weak in order to show your humanity. Like, and that's the whole goal behind what Avasarala wanted. Um, so I don't know if, if her standing up to Monica would have been better leadership or not in that moment. Um, uh, Cause I think Monica's spot on. Uh, well, I don't want, I don't mean to suggest that mm -hmm. she needed to stand up to Monica, mm -hmm. but she did give Monica, you know, free reign yeah. and then tries to take it back. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like she's basically well, she's waffling. I guess is my point. I mean, those are bad. Those are Vasarala. Those are Vasarala instincts: is to step in and try to take control uh, of a situation. I love, I love how much you're using the word instinct, Philip, because mm -hmm. I think that speaks a lot to what's going on with the leadership in this episode. Yeah, mm -hmm. is a lot of people just like using intuition, um, which like they're leading unconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that's what intuition is. It's like, it, there's no like outward reason for it, but there is like an internal reason your body is telling you this is the right thing to do. And you can't always explain it. You can't always um, wrap it up in a tidy bow. Like, oh, this is what leadership looks like. But the fact that these are like, I don't think that these are waffling things. I think that they're actually strong decisions being made, um, including by like what you were just saying, Phil, by Avasarala. Like, cause yeah, she kind of comes in like hard on Monica, like at the outset, but by the end of the scene, she's listening, you know, and she's trusting the people that she has like instinctually put in these places. Like it was her instincts that put Monica Stu that had her call up Monica Stewart and request this. And so she may like, you know, that her ego or whatever might be coming in to be like, oh no, wait, maybe this isn't the right thing. But her instinct, her initial instinct around Monica is still right. And she's still following it, I think. So, and there is a place for intuition in leadership. I think that's part of what it is, mm -hmm. is like having to make these decisions that not just that like, can't always be explained but you know it's right and you have enough conviction in knowing that it's right that yeah. you're gonna do it though I do agree Holden being all cagey after the fact was not right <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> but as we're Especially all saying kind of like in the moment I think he made the right I think he made the right yeah call. Holden trying to be cagey with Amos is especially like what the fuck are you thinking, dude? Right. You can't do that. There's no being cagey with Amos. Yeah. Right. Um, I love what you're saying though, Lisa, about instinct and about intuition. Um, I felt a lot of that watching this episode, but I think that the one thing 
about all of the leadership experiences that are in this episode and you know the the threads of this have happened in the all of the episodes prior obviously um but it kind of was giving me some uh spider-man no way home feels a little bit <laughs> where it's like you know this this idea that like you can do what you think is the right thing but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to solve the problem mm-hmm. you know and I think that a lot of a times lot the of, right things makes the problem worse. Wait, yeah. makes the problem worse. Exactly. So it's like, you can be in your principles and you can stand on your principles all day long. And, but at the end of the day, the, you're going to have to deal with what's in front of you, regardless of whether you can look at it and say, oh, I did what was right for me. You know, like I, and I think that another thing about this episode that really struck me is it's almost like the leaders are starting to see like we're not in a black and white situation where there's a bad guy and there's a good guy and I'm wearing me and my people are wearing the white hats and they all are wearing the black hats right Mm -hmm. that really landed for me when Monica was zipping up the bodies where it was like okay, so a bunch of these, you know, people on series are dead. How is that any different than all of the people on earth that are dead? You know, um, that really hit home for me. And I think that all of the leaders with the exception of, of course, you know, Marco <laughs> are starting to, are starting to really be like, what is it that we're actually fighting for? And what is the desired outcome? You know, I think that there's starting to be a few more question marks, which is, you know, and of course that would, that would lead to Holden trying to bullshit Amos who's sitting there being like, okay, man. (laughs) I don't know. Susan Bridges. Hmm? (laughs) Susan, I, uh, what's your take on how leadership is sort of, not altogether there in this episode. Do you have any pushback on the on the on my uh, proposal there? Do you do you feel it? Is there something that you see that we haven't mentioned? Um, you know, I saw going through the episode a lot of the complexities of loss and what it means to be lost as a person, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not just death, but in other ways. I mean, I mean. Like, if you think about, like, Amos kind of adopting Peaches, this was a person who was thrown away, and yet he still finds something in her and sees something in her and has brought her out of that. Holden doesn't want to kill Philip because from his perspective, he's, Philip is lost in in his own way. And then it's Holden saying, okay, I can't kill him. But also, every time we see a scene with Philip, he's balanced on this edge of which way is he going to go? Is he really bad? Is he really going to turn against this? And then, you know, you've got, it's just, and then all the loss of life on series where they're like, okay, Marco did this, but no one's going to believe it. So that that's complicated too, right? I mean, what did these people die for? And, and like, Kelly Sue said like what are they fighting for there's a lot of complexities around that saying okay is the sacrifice worth it or is this sacrifice anything does it mean something Mm 
does this loss mean anything? So I guess I thought about that a lot. I do want to say, just as a side, uh, you know, spinning off of what you guys are saying, uh, Kelly, Sue, and Susan, that Anna Hopkins brought the thunder in her performance today in this episode. She, like everything that Susan just said about, you know, the complexities of loss and mm -hmm. war, like mm -hmm. she, it was all on her face, you know, like this is someone who has just been through some shit Yep. And is managing, because of her unique journalistic perspective, to see it through the eyes of all involved. You know, this is a person who has deep empathy for the Belters, as we see, you know, with Owain, and mm -hmm. for, you know, the Earther she's zipping up in a body bag, you know. And, like, I've always been a fan of Anna Hopkins, if only because I think she's a <laughs> she is she is on point like her performance really stood out to me in this episode um, um i agree i um i i mean i've been liking monica stewart more and more since she like showed up on this show um but this past episode because I, I know we talked last week about like how confident we were that she was alive um, but when they showed like the previously on, I was like, oh man, <laughs> I hope that we were right about that. And I got <laughs> a little like, oh no. And then when I saw her it and then that whole scene with her that we like, see, yes, of course she's still alive. We were right. Um, but um, that whole scene, it was like, my heart just really opened up wide for Monica Stewart in this particular episode. So yeah, I was feeling that too. Claire, can you bring us home with this? I'll do my best. Um, I, you know, I think what really strikes me in this question of leadership is the wide differences, um, the spectrum that we have of what's being led. Because, you know, you look at James Holden and we're, I think a lot of times we, we critique his leadership skills as if they were the leadership skills of a military ship, right? Because that's what he's, that's what they're doing. They're going into battle and they're making decisions in the heat of the moment. And, um, but, but the key thing, and I think it's key about the expanse as a whole is that we're not just dealing with, um, groups of, you know, nameless, faceless groups of people, right? Like going back and I appreciate Philip bringing up the discussion with Naomi in which she's talking about how his decision, his unilateral decision in that moment as the captain of the ship, right? Quote unquote, took away her agency, which is absolutely true, but that's only applicable in a scenario where you have a family group really if you if holden were the the leader of a military group taking away his his subordinates agency is not a question in that scenario it's it's what that guy thinks is applicable in that you know what what the leader think is applicable in a situation and he's going to do it and not necessarily feel any responsibility to explain himself ever um and and I just, I love that the expanse gives us this family groups. We see that struggle as well with 
drummer and her group, because again, you have arguably an even more intimately connected group of people aboard her Mm -hmm. ship that she, and you can see it. We've talked about it in previous seasons where Carrie G is just so fucking amazing at, at showing on her face that switch between I am the captain now and I am your lover now, or I am your brother, your, you know, your sister, your whatever relationship I feel to you. And I don't know how you balance all of that and make good decisions like that. That's the real struggle I see. And then you have it, you know, mirror, you have it, um, illuminated for you by what's going on with Marco and Naros and the way he just absolutely doesn't even understand either one of those things, right? Like he's, he doesn't understand good, like tactical, how to be a good military leader. And he has obviously no idea of how to be a family, you know, make decisions around a family unit either. Um, and he's the one person who's actually got a blood relation yeah, you know, in his crew, right. like know. it's it's just it's so this question, and it you know to take it really really like, um, you know like meta. It just it says something about how society, how humanity should be, right? Like we should be less of the the make decisions and not have to explain ourselves and just have a bunch of nameless faceless people that we're responsible for and we should be more of a you know tight knit family group in which we feel responsibility about whether or not we've taken somebody's agency away from them um yeah anyway Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack here, and I, I I dig everyone's perspective. So nice, thank you, panel. Um, but now let's flip the script a little, because I feel like some of the people who have clearly not been leaders, and are people who have had their backs against the wall in a very real way, uh, really stepped up in this episode. You know, um, Clarissa's conversation with Holden, which Philip brought up was a real backbone moment. In that moment, she was arguably the backbone of the Rasinante in that moment because she was supporting, you know, the captain and backing his play, which, you know, that's that's significant, especially when the rest of the Rasinante, his longstanding crew members, weren't necessarily doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, Michio, who was about to get jettisoned from her family, you know, yep. um, stepped up in a huge way, you know, when crisis struck and no one knew exactly how to handle it. She was decisive and kind yet, you know, doing what needed to be done. She was as impressive in that moment as any character was on the show for sure to me. Um, and and then there's Philip, because, you know, like Susan said, Philip kind of walks the razor's edge of, is this a good person? Is this someone who could be a good person? Or is he the guy who helped kill millions on Earth, you know? And him spending time with Tadeo, the, the maintenance guy on the Pella, like, you see 
a desire to be a better person in Philip in that moment, you know? And like someone who can apologize and back off of his, you know, off of some of his, you know, Marco Monaro's inspired tantrums, you know? And I was like, damn it, please don't make me like Philip, please, because I want him to get his, you know? Um, And this all reminded me of, particularly with Philip, of a conversation we had about The Expanse several seasons ago. Um, And it's, you know, appropriate that we're revisiting Clarissa Mao now because we had a bit of a a scuffle, a verbal verbal throwdown about what Clarissa Mao deserved Mm -hmm. uh, after having killed people in the ring space or outside the ring space and if she was redeemed and how much she was redeemed by arguably saving humanity and you know she she was freed long before her sentence was you know was overturned or you know was over um do we think that she should she be thrown back in prison should philip you know like I, I'm, I, it, this all brings me back to what we deserve for what we've done, you know? Mm. Um, and I'm going to call on Lisa now because her face is so expressive. And <laughs> I honestly, like, so you mentioned this and it's like, I'm always like, I'm, you know, I'm following a neural pathway and it's all context driven. So I don't remember which side of the argument I came down on last time. <laughs> I want Justin to tell us all what we said because I'm pretty sure I'm going to Did I come myself. down yeah. as like pro she should? Like- I, I, I think I remember you saying, Lisa, that a person's redemption depends on how they feel about themselves. Oh, okay. So I'm not, I'm not flip-flopping. No. All right. No. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Because, of course, I don't, I don't, listen, our <laughs> justice, out. I mean, oh God, our justice system is so fucked, y'all. Like, Ooh, let's get into on. that, right? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to detour that hard, but I just, to, we have this sense of what punishment should look like that's been dictated to us mm-hmm. by a bunch of ancient bullshit, right? Okay. <laughs> And I'm not saying that this works in all cases, right? But I am saying that justice is something that I believe can exist on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel in regards to Clarissa, like she has freed herself. Mm-hmm. Like she, she kind of like... She's a better person now. Yeah, she's a better person now. And she kind of chose her fate. Like we, I know that we kind of talked about like, you know, Amos gave her the option to just end it all on their way back to earth. Um, And, but she was like, she wasn't interested in that. She was interested in being punished. She wanted to punish herself. Mm-hmm. She wanted to, she wanted to feel the weight of what she had done and then she did and then she literally had the world like fall down on her (laughs) talk about feeling the weight so it's like i i i i'm happy for clarissa 
I'm happy for her place in this story and on the Rasenate. Um, in regards to Marco, um, I don't think all of the responsibility falls on him. Do you mean Philip? Um, on oh yeah, sorry, on Philip. That's what I meant. All of the responsibility. Um, of course, falls the responsibility on falls on Marco. <laughs> but he won't accept like, any of it ooh. because he's not. Because he's not. Yeah. A person. <laughs> um. So Philip, yes, yeah, sorry, Philip is not like. I mean, he's essentially been brainwashed, and, and he's a kid. And he's a kid, and it's like he's so he's he was so he was coming from such an impressionable place from this terribly abusive relationship that like was predicated on earning his father's love through these deeds it's so i'm like i i i have a hard time just being like oh yeah let's just bury him and Mm -hmm. good riddance (laughs) when there's so much potential for a good person there that can make positive difference in the world so that's how I feel. Susan, I'm going to come to you. Oh, wait, Kelly Sue. No, no, no. no. You no. Go to, you go to Sue. Kelly Sue, it's on the tip of your tongue and I don't want it to fall off. Go ahead. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll be, I'm, I'm going to be brief because I agree with so much of what Lisa said. Like if we're talking about who, if we're talking about like justice being served and you're holding up somebody like Clarissa Mao against a Marco Inaros, it's a completely different kind of a situation, right? Have we even ever seen Marco kill someone? Yeah. He, he, uh, uh, what's his name? Ashford. Oh, yeah, of course. He killed Ashford. Yeah. How could we forget? Anyway, until we go. go. What I'm going to go, where I'm going with this is in the direction of Philip, which is, I find watching Philip so compelling and why I have a really hard time being like, I hate this kid. Because I think that Philip is a good person. I think that's his default. I think we see that when he gets around people like Tadeo or in the brief instances where he was spending time with Naomi. Um, And I think that's actually his struggle is that he doesn't want to kill anybody and he doesn't want to be like his dad and he knows that it's bad and that's his conflict. So I have a hard time when I see, I mean, obviously I see him like have this tantrum and kill his friend. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you really can't be doing shit like that. And (laughs) you're going to need to probably, you know, atone in an appropriate way for this, you know, but at the same time, you can see just so much to Lisa's point, like he's a product of his environment, you know, like he's a product of Marco's manipulation and abuse and all of this, right? And I actually think this is Marco's fear is that like, this kid is better than me. And if I don't squash it, he'll become like, you know, my worthy adversary or whatever. I don't know if that answers this question. Or his mother will win and Marco can't have that either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I was going to say that's Marco's view on everything is is that unmitigated need to make everybody make himself look better than everybody else. Yeah. Affirm that for himself all the time. Totally. 
So that's uh, that was my that's my thing with Philip and with this redemptive stuff. I was always on the side of being for Clarissa, um, being like I think she's gotten what she deserves just by doing the things that she's done up until this point, and she'll happily go to jail because she's in pain, and that's her that's her sort of punishment for what she's done. Um, so that's where I've always landed with Clarissa. But yes, Susan passing the torch to you. Susan, I, I feel bad because we're I'm sort of referencing a conversation from many episodes ago where you weren't there, but there's also, the, the point still stands that there's a lot of the people who were, had their backs against the wall in some way or another, you know, are stepping up, stepped up in a big way in this episode, or we saw glimmers of, you know, why they were important all along, you know, and I just, appreciate your take on that. I will appreciate um, your take on that. <clears throat> well, I guess with Clarissa, I mean, she's obviously remorseful. And, you know, when she was in imprisoned, I don't remember them saying that her sentence was ever going to end. It, it seemed like she was just locked up. They threw away the key. She was never going to get out. And she was mm. fine with that. Still a dozen and, people. Yeah, and, and so it's like she is still you know it, it brings to mind you know things about incarceration like people were talking about when does the punishment end how much suffering is enough who decides what is enough and it's true that also it brings to mind that you know when people get out of prison they often have no life to go to they're constantly stigmatized it follows them their entire lives and it's like, then you think about, well, they served their time. Doesn't that mean the punishment is over? And it isn't. So that that was brought to mind with Clarissa. Philip is more, oh, Philip. It's... <laughs> I think I, I do agree that his default is to be good, but he has been heavily influenced. I, I did think it was interesting that when Philip was working with Tadeo and he made a mistake and he apologizes and asks for help, which is something Marco would have never allowed him to do. And he would have never done it in, in front of Marco. Mm -hmm. It just makes me think about how, you know, the kind of abusive parent dynamic, his father is a narcissistic sociopath. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think also a lot about, you know, teenagers, you know, I, I have a teenager, like my son is a teenager. And so you see these, you know, crimes that teenagers commit and they, they try them as adults. And it's like, if you've ever spent an hour talking to a teenager, it is clear they are not an adult. <laughs> not even like, if you talk to an 18 year old, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> you're, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're just a child. And so you, you think about that and how it's like the influence of the people around them and also when I was growing up, I had a very angry parent, you know, so anger was encouraged, allowed. That was mm -hmm. my default. And it wasn't because, you know, of anything. It was just that was how I was raised, you know, so you get you, you get imprinted on in so many different ways. And then, you know, 
it's it's complicated, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I I have to say, I mean, I off when I consider the justice system, you know, as it exists, not just mm. in this country, but around the world, the justice systems, you know, and I ask myself all the time, what does punishment serve beyond making other people feel better? Mm-hmm. You know, because punishment is not, you know, naturally redemptive. It doesn't, you know, it's not or rehabilitative. It's not curative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not curative. It's yeah, it's not it's not enforcing good behavior. It's you know? it's it's an emotional reaction by pe- the people around, you know. Yeah. And it, it's certainly our justice system is not predicated on what is best, you know. But mm-hmm. we as people, we also we can't avoid judging people and their situations. And we want to feel, I mean, even now as we speak rationally about how punishment is not curative, mm-hmm. we still, you know, we see people who've done something that we don't like and we think that person should suffer, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us have those thoughts, you know? And it's it's a flawed, like the very concept of justice is flawed because it's predicated on making, you know, it's not predicated on, you know, criminals and victims. It's predicated on everyone else and how they feel about it. Well, did and, you and oh I'm did sorry. you all watch this is a little bit of a sort of a tangent but it's it's about what we're talking about did anybody here watch the Ted Bundy tapes the documentary no. on Netflix no. um so Ted Bundy is arguably like one of the worst human beings to ever live probably right mm-hmm. <laughs> I think with the objectively terrible yes um and the the sort of uh way that the lawyer who was pushing for his execution speaks about it on this um in this documentary which is incredible like they were selling t-shirts the day that he was executed they were selling buttons they were having like a tailgate party like it was the super bowl i remember that the day that he was killed mm-hmm. and they interview the lawyer now and he said it's the one thing that he regrets more than anything else we're because he was like execution. i was there to watch it and i can say it solves none of it all the pain was still there and in fact it was even highlighted because it was like oh well and kelly sue it that you lead in exactly to like the point of the justice system that i am i think most concerned with in all of this and it's not about the perpetrator or even the victim necessarily but it's about the idea that imposing punishment is not just about the effects on the person who's being punished, Mm -mm. but it's about what that punishing, the action of punishing does to the punisher as Uh well. And you can think about the most extreme example of that. It's one of the reasons, one of many reasons why I oppose a death penalty is Mm -hmm. because I will not, as a member of society, place in another person's uh, hands the responsibility and like effect of asking someone else to directly kill someone else for me it yeah that's unconscionable to me yeah and holding grudge even and to the other side of the spectrum even just holding grudges and i think that's something that they're they're 
highlighting very directly in this mm-hmm. season with Clarissa being on the Rosinante is that holding grudges and 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 not allowing yourself to honestly acknowledge the way another person has changed or connect with that person it mm-hmm. affects you as a person yeah in a way that is Something Mm -hmm. we do not recognize in our society, especially American society, I think really at all. We do not talk about this side of, of these issues. Um, And I think American society is a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) How, okay. I'm sorry. Small tangent, but (laughs) how satisfying was it to watch number 90210 basically acting like the mom trying to like, deal with the the separate tantrums that the teenager you know because that's really what you have is you have a couple of teenagers one mm-hmm. who shouldn't be a teenager right who should be an adult marco and philip and she's just trying to manage their um and susan is another parent of a teenager will probably like be in the fields about like okay just trying to imagine all or, or manage the emotional tantrums <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and, and just complete irrationality that happens in that. I love that anyway. Um, yeah. Dang. Yeah. No, I, and I also, and just one other thing that I was thinking during this discussion is I think we would feel differently about Clarissa if she didn't have a, a ongoing punishment of her, the mods. And yeah. so she's punished herself very like, figuratively but almost literally as well right like she's yeah, it's almost like true. like getting the mods like when she got them because she knew what she was doing when she got them mm-hmm. and she knew how terrible they were when she got them that it was like she pre-punished herself mm-hmm. yeah she knew she was going to do something that she was going to feel remorseful about like mm-hmm. somewhere in there she knew it wasn't the right thing to do but she was going to go ahead and do it anyway so she pre-punished herself mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. susan cool. just <laughs> as a just in case it's not obvious and it very well might be <laughs> number 90210 is a reference to kathleen robinson as rosenfeld the executive officer of the pella i figured it out okay cool okay. <laughs> I, I, figured, I figured you would but just in case and for any listeners out there who are like what the hell is she saying right now you know <laughs> and you know <clears throat> I want to give all of us, Susan, listeners, an opportunity to put all that together. So we are going to go to a quick break and we will be right back to further discuss the goings on in Redoubt. And we are back. And we don't know what you guys were doing while we had messages playing, but we were watching or rewatching this week's bonus short, Night Watch, written by Glenton Richards and directed by Lewin. Lewin Webb. I will accept that pronunciation. Yes, Lewin. Oh, it, it's misspelled. That's why. Yeah. Okay, Lewin Webb. I noticed okay. in the opening. Good yeah, call. Good call. High five. <laughs> High five, Lisa Webb. Lisa K. Weber. Apple of my eye. Um, um, some of us were saying going into this that this is the best of the shorts thus far um, I know that this one really hit me where I live because I had a problematic relationship with my father who I loved so much um, Susan Bridges 
let's go first with you. I've wanted to go first with you on every point, but I felt like I was putting you on the spot, and now I don't. So, um, no, this one definitely, yeah, uh, hit me too. I have a very problematic relationship with my parents. Um, they are objectively terrible people. There is very little I can do about that, and um, for it's it's interesting to me, I guess, because when uh, I think it's funny that for my parents, it's simple. As long as I never disagree with anything they say, everything will be fine. <laughs> so um, I, I do understand the feeling of, I wish that you were better. I wish that you were better people. Do I still care about them and love them? Yes, I do. Is it frustrating as hell? Yes. And, you know, I do what I can when I can. I feel an obligation to try because they're not going to listen to anyone else. I mean, they're not going to listen to me either, but they have to listen to me to some extent because they're still in contact with me. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely felt where Clarissa was coming from and that feeling of, you know, I wish things were different, but they're not. And this is what we have. I'm completely there with you. The feeling of, I wish you were a better father. I wish I didn't love you as much as I do. You know, like that all really resonated with me. And mm. um, I just, and maybe Nicole was, she's got a lot of heart in her expressions in particular mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. And I really, you know, she really centered me in the story and I was really, I, I felt very much moved by it. Um, and now I'm just going to open it to whoever wants to speak about this because it's sort of, it feels so personal to me. I don't want to round robin it, you know? Mm -hmm. I think what I love about it is that, you know, like Susan was saying that she can identify to it because there's a, there's a, sameness about you know seeing her parents as as being you know terrible people right and but at the same time it works across the spectrum of parent-child relationships because i had parents who were objectively good people and who created a great home for me um but at the same time even in their own like best intentions created also created for me a really toxic worldview. And I, I have to deal with the love for parents and a, a rejection of the things that they stood for at the same time. And I, I absolutely like, I, I think this scene could have been like, it would have been a very good, like central, um, you know, a story, emotional, a story in, in an episode for this show, which, you know, if we were getting more of a, a more episodes in the season, I think that, you know, definitely this could have, you know, would have been an important thing to tackle. I love any storyline that acknowledges the paradox, like, you know, she, they mentioned something about paradox, you know, right up front. And that's one of, 
that's one of the central, I think, tenets of my worldview now is that life, it's not so much that life is chaotic. It's just that life is a paradox. It is, a, it is life is a, com- a series of complexities that are not always resolvable. They're, con- they're contradictory. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, they're just outright contradictory and not always resolvable. And a lot of, you know, what I talk about in therapy <laughs> is, you know, trying to come to some sort of place where I'm, I'm living in that complexity comfortably. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Clarissa has in front of her about herself, about her dad, about, you know, everything. It just, it, it's just such a simple story, but shocking. Mm-hmm. Also, you pull out of that, that, I mean, we could all assume that, but I, how shocking is it to hear that you're dead? <laughs> Everybody mm-hmm. thinks you're dead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, it was a, um, it was a good reminder that, oh, right. Everyone thinks she's dead. <laughs> this, and I mean, you know, in a way, I mean, in a way she very much is, is dead. she's, and, she's um, a different person than, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, the, um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, that was just really beautiful. And I mean, the yeah, just kind of like all the complexity of emotion that, again, it's not something that's explainable. It's just something that is like, you can feel an ocean of emotion. It's like, (laughs) you know, and that like, you can feel all the things you can feel angry and sad and violent and peaceful, like all at the same time. Um, and that's then she she captured all of that really well in her performance and obviously it was all captured really well by the entire crew behind it so um that is what i will say about it i think to kind of tie this in with what we were talking about before the break because i think justin you and i mostly went toe to toe over the closer mouthing previously in previous seasons you know, when we had the big convert that you referenced. I know exactly uh, what? what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. What? You and, you and Justin like, I, had a conflict? I, I don't think, recall that. I think, uh, you know, and what I, what I had said at that time was like, I think uh, um, redemption comes with like continuing choices that you make, not just a singular choice. Uh, though that singular choice can point to like uh, who you are, or who you want to become. Um, it, and I'll agree with everybody that if she was showing no remorse, obviously it would be a very different story we'd be watching and a very different thing we'd be feeling. Um, and this little chunk, this little nugget of a story right here definitely shows how deep her remorse goes. Cause it's uh, and that's what I'm liking about these moments that we're getting with characters by themselves, because when you get characters kind of by themselves, you get um, the veil lifted. A little bit and you really get to see what's going on on a very personal you know i'm in my bedroom alone kind of moment um uh so yeah i, I think this is a very uh, uh important little uh note to add to the composition of this season um giving her a moment to herself so we can see just how deep that remorse goes uh with whatever is going to happen next uh, with her storyline and how this wraps up Speaking of wrapping up, Kelly Sue, do you have a bow to put on this present? Ooh. It's okay to say no. 
I was watching it and I was like, oh, this is very close to home today. Mm -hmm. Sure. Wasn't expecting that. Um, My father is not dead in a physical sense. Um, Wow. Okay. My my because my parents split when I was seven, and I I've had a you know a, a challenging relationship with my dad ever since that goes back and forth between challenging and just estrangement. Um, it's interesting that, and I say he's not dead in a physical sense because the father that I grew up with for the first seven years of my life is definitely dead. That person doesn't exist anymore. Um, And I think it's interesting, especially now that I've become a parent, how, um, and what was highlighted for me watching this and just, you know, a huge reason why I love um, is that it almost amplifies the humanity of the characters and of the stories to be experiencing something like this in such extraordinary circumstances, it, it makes it that much more saturated. Um, And just this reality that you can't escape your shit. Do your best. You can try all means of just, I'm gonna push it away. I'm not gonna think about it. Okay, I'm not gonna speak to you anymore. Okay, you're dead to me. Okay, yeah, let's try it. It doesn't matter. Um, It's all there. And the stuff you think is resolved, it finds you again. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can imagine what will be like when my dad does eventually um, pass away. And it would be nice for me to be like, yeah, well, I've already dealt with that. So I'm not going to have any feelings about it. <laughs> That's not real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um, to have something, to have an experience like that, and then see it and be able to identify it in a five minute short that is a bonus material. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is kudos to the people that make this show. That is kudos to Nadine Nicole. That is kudos to who wrote this short. That is kudos to the people who did the special effects of the camera thing oh, man. while that we're was watching so great. this short. Yeah. Yeah. Details of that were so great. The little Rocinante yeah. thing in the top yeah. right corner was wonderful. Yeah. And yeah. what it did was just really hammer home the fact that she's alone. Going to standby mode. It was such a brilliant yeah. freaking, yeah. It yeah. was a really good it, device. It was funny, while, short, we, while oh. we were watching it, we noted um, in my house, we're like, oh my goodness, Clarissa is being allowed to stay on the Rocinante all by herself. Like she's on there, like, they trust her to do that now. And then it went to the camera view and my husband said, yeah, but they're watching her. <laughs> <laughs> <You got an eye. laughs> I also liked the, the metaphor of her picking up the pieces. Mm-hmm. At the oh, yeah. 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 Very nice. yeah. Nicely done. Nicely done. Saw what you did there. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to very, I'm going to add um, one hot take because I don't Ooh. think we have the time to really jump into this and we don't have to anyway. And that is that Dylan Taylor as Admiral Duarte in the opening scene, um, especially for those of us who have read the books and have met Duarte there, um, 
I was, I got really excited. Um, and this feels to me like a winking promise that there is more expanse coming, just not in the format that we've thus far been yeah, I could be totally wrong. Honestly, knows I never got the Falcon they, into my Christmas like tree, from so the opening seconds now. of this season when we opened on Laconia, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this yeah. isn't it the seems... end of the expanse. Yeah, if we're on Laconia, we're who, not ending it at season six. As someone who did not read the books, no. was it appropriate for me to be watching this? And then when I see Cortazar, I was instantly like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's appropriate anytime you see Cortazar to go, uh oh, yes. <laughs> and I was like, was I right when I thought it was a proto dog? <laughs> And also, hot take, uh, just for shits and giggles, I'm pretty sure that the kids who play Kara and Zan are actual siblings. Um, that would be awesome. And I'm going to wrap things up, but certain characters in this show get things wrapped up for them, <laughs> and we need to talk about that before we go. Um, so, Lisa, why don't you take us into our In Memoriam segment? In memoriam, y'all, um, which is appropriate given that we're in a new year and we look back on the things that happened. <laughs> Characters are going to die and how a story handles those deaths is very important, not only to fans, but also storytellers. Every episode, we're going to have an in memoriam where we discuss the deaths of the major and minor characters that we've witnessed, how they've affected us, and what their deaths mean as storytelling tools. First up, Apparently, whomever was driving that cart that struck and killed Zan by firing squad. That it's was dark. Very yeah. I love that because that to me was a real, it allowed them to further characterize Duarte, mm -hmm. you know, uh -huh. while still letting him really have that shining, compassionate moment with Kara. I thought it, I was like, right. this is freaking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Duarte is really tall. Like he walked out of the little dab thing, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting to feel like that about Duarte, but I had a moment. Oh, interesting. Sound that just came out of your mouth, Claire. Saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, 15 UN Marines, 27 Martians on series explosion, and. A lot of belters too. <laughs> they were saying some pretty high numbers there yeah. when yeah. Tadeo was looking it up. Um, so yeah, R.I.P. It is it is interesting. The Martians, the Martian uh, general or whoever, what's her name? Admiral Admiral Carino. Uh, Carino. Yeah, yes, that's right. She had to be reminded that Belters also died there. I did like that little yeah. moment between her and Avasarala. Nice. And can I just say I'm happy to see Admiral Carino back because yeah. she yeah. she's had great. that brief scene in like yeah. season three and she's yeah. you know she's, she's so badass. So. She's badass, yeah. Yeah. Same. Um a team of scavengers gunned down by drummer's crew. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Corrado, one of drummer's squad. Yeah. Red shirt. We yeah. hardly knew ye. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that was that was was that one of drummers? squad or, or was one of the squad. other it might have been one i of the think other, it but... was one of, I, I don't um, mean to differentiate yeah. them i'm just curious that's yeah funny. but you know part of the the four part of the yeah. you know the boarding party raiding yeah. party right yeah um and then of course 
what we just talked about, Jules Pierre Mao, and yet still no word about Aaron Wright. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just want to say, because Sean Doyle is rocking it out on Star Trek Discovery, uh-huh. that I, I kind of hope that Aaron Wright got out of his cell and he is living on like some weird little commune on earth, you know, mm-hmm. laying low and having to do hard labor though. Like he's my guy. Physical labor. <laughs> yeah. He That's also he Can wished me a happy birthday go- once. So like I'm I'm pro Aaron Wright these days. So. <laughs> Can we also quickly pour one out for Joseph's arm? Oh, oh word. Yeah. Word. Word. we should, yes. You just yeah. well, you put on that you put on that tubey thing and you get a new arm. So gonna group uh, you know he lost his og arm yeah <laughs> and you know while we're memorializing let's memorialize any thoughts i had that michio pa was anything but a badass man she mm-hmm. yeah was, that was that was michio. a great moment michio yeah it really was it was good job michio mm-hmm. good job michio <laughs> okay before we go you know on every episode of that episode was we have to say what that episode was so I'm going to go around the board and you tell us, what do you think that episode was? Philip, Kelly, that episode was? Uh, enthralling. Thoroughly enthralled. Clarissa Thorne, that episode was? Gut-wrenching. Mm. Kelly Sumilano, that episode was? Messy. 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 Lisa K. Weber, that episode was? Um, grimace emoji. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well done with the emoji. Oh, now I'm regretting that we didn't make this that episode was and then an emoji. Like just <laughs> that an episode was ice cold emoji. <laughs> Susan Bridges. That episode was. Uh, I said it many times, so I'll go with complicated. Oh, I yeah. like it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm going to say that episode was my favorite so far this season. Six words. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm. That's how I roll. That's how I roll. You should see one of my comic book scripts. Wordy, wordy, wordy. <laughs> um, before we leave you, dear listeners, um, we like to treat you to, uh, if you like this, you might also like that. Um, and we have, I believe, a pair of recommendations here for you. We'll start with our very own Kelly Sue Milano. What you got for us, Kelly Sue? Um, okay, so I am new to an, a relatively old news show. Um, but as I was watching this particular episode of The Expanse, and even so with the, especially with the punctuation of the short, I am going to recommend Succession. Oh. Um, I It's blowing my mind right now. And there is a lot of daddy drama. I mean, that's basically what the <laughs> show is. Um, and while it is not science fiction, I do find the life of the obscenely wealthy to be a form of science fiction because <laughs> I'm like, this is not even remotely reality. Um, and so, yeah. Highly, highly recommend if you're down for the drama of just real fucked up family dynamics. Uh, yeah, Succession on HBO Max. It seems like a great time to point out to our audience that I did not win the Powerball yesterday. <laughs> Susan, uh, do you have any recommendations for us tonight? I do. I have, well, okay. Uh, 
technically two, but the first one, I'm just going to recommend the James Webb telescope. There is a lot of drama as that is getting ready. <laughs> so follow the James Webb telescope. There is about 300 things that can go wrong before it actually starts working. And Maybe it's it, very dramatic. It didn't blow up on, you know, being launched. Yeah. So right. And they were yeah. like, and that's not even the most difficult thing about not this by all, a yeah. long shot. <laughs> so then my second recommendation is one I already gave to Claire and whether she wanted it or not. Um, there's a book, it was, it came out last year. It was the best book I read that year. It's called The Darkness Outside Us. Ooh. And it's by Elliot Schreffer, S-C-H-R-E-F-E-R. And um, it's about two 17 year old young men who are on a spaceship and they are running the ship and the AI has this enormous to-do list for them and they start fixing the ship and then they start to realize that AI might be lying to them and they're not quite sure what's happening and so it's very mysterious it gets really weird it's crazy fun and it should be a movie I'm actually mad that no one has optioned this yet because it should be a movie <laughs> so anything definitely recommend that one it definitely sounds like it should be a movie that sounds yeah. like really high concept and cool yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah for yeah. sure Totally. Excellent. Excellent recommendations. Excellent panel, y'all. Thank you so much. Um, listeners, if you like this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe Popsicle on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in to next week's That Episode Was, where we'll be discussing episode five, Why We Fight. We're also currently releasing new episodes of Murder Husbands, our deep dive appreciation into Brian Fuller's Hannibal every Tuesday. Follow at PopsiclePod on all the social medias and visit our website, PopsiclePod.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter and get all the latest goodies. That's PopsiclePod, P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. Until next time, clear skies, flyers. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.